Good morning, familia. For those of you who don't know who I am, my name is Hannibal Rodriguez. I'm one of the pastors here and wanted to welcome you all again, whether you are worshiping with us in person or worshiping with us online. It is always a pleasure that we get to worship our Lord together. Amen? Don't you think that that time of worship was amazing? How about it? We gave glory to God. Now, that was kind of depressing. Let's do that again. I struggle sometimes with you guys. For the last few weeks, we have been doing a series called Gospel Culture, in which we're looking into 12 different biblical traits that help us with three things. It helps us define what it means to be a biblical church. It gives us a blueprint of what it means uh, of the things we need to believe and practice in order, in order for us to experience a spiritual renewal. And number three, it gives us the things that we need to believe and practice in order to remain faithful and fruitful in the midst of a changing society. As you heard before, today we're going to talk about biblical trait number nine, the urgency of evangelism. Now, I know that the concept of evangelism makes people, some people, uh, feel a little bit uncomfortable for some reason. And to make it worse, I'm going to ask you to do something for me. Could you please look at the person next to you and just ask the question, how is your evangelistic life? Go ahead, go ahead. So the reason why this is uh, uh, sometimes like a weird question to ask is because some of us, when we hear that, either feel guilty or we feel pride because we are doing amazing, right? And the reality is that evangelism is, is something that we ought to practice regardless of how you feel, right? So today we're going to talk about these four things. We're going to talk about the mission, the message, the mode, and the motive of evangelism. The mission, the message, the mode, and the motive for evangelism. Let's go with the first point, uh, the mission. Uh, let, let me start with this. And it's going um, to feel a little bit uh, harsh at the beginning, but I, probably, I, pro I promise you that it's not going to get better as the time goes. <laughs> but this is the gist of it. Um, to be a Christian is to be in mission. To be a Christian is to be called to shout to the mountains that the Lord Jesus is Lord. To be a Christian is to proclaim publicly not only that we are Christians, but that God is God. Because one of the things that the Bible makes it clear is that the Lord brings you in and then he sends you out. This is part of the reason why Jesus said, go and make disciples of all the nations. Part of our Christian faith demands that we understand that not only he calls us in into his presence, but then he sends us out. Therefore, to be a believer is to be on mission. And to be on mission is much more than the proclamation of the gospel, but it cannot be any less than the proclamation of the gospel. Did you catch that? To be on mission is more than the proclamation of the gospel, but it cannot be less than the proclamation of the gospel. To be a Christian is to willingly want to share with others what you have already found. To not want to share with others what you have already found means that there's something wrong with your understanding of what you already found. That's why I told you that it was going to get a little harsh right from the beginning. 
But I want you to understand that sharing what you find amazing and beautiful and significant is the, is the most normal thing to do. It's illogical not to do it. My argument is super simple. We are all evangelists of something. Every time we have experienced something that is beautiful and amazing and significant, the most natural reaction is to want to share it with others. Isn't that what you do when you find something that is just amazing? Don't you call somebody or you brag about that thing somehow? This is part of the reason why we like social media, people. Social media is about bragging. Bragging the things that you find amazing, beautiful, or significant. That's why no one posts a picture of you waking up in the, right in the, middle of the morning, in the middle of the night with your hair all over the place because you don't want to brag about that. But social media, at the end of the day, is about bragging. Bragging about things that you find significant and important. Isn't that the reason why you brag about the team you like? This is part of the reason why you buy the gear and you promote things. Is sometimes you brag about teams that you should not brag about. And yet it is a natural thing that when you love something, have been impacted by something, you just want to share it. For those of you that have been in love or are in love, don't you remember the first time you fell in love? Didn't you brag about that? I mean, if you didn't brag about that, you had issues. Actually, let's make this even more uncomfortable. Ask your spouse if they ever brag about you. No, don't do it. <laughs> that would be terrible, right? But the idea is that this comes natural to you. Mom, I, I found a girl. It's just natural to brag about the person you love. It's natural to brag about a good deal, an amazing place you visited, an amazing experience. It is illogical and unnatural to never brag about the things that have shaped your heart. We are all evangelists for something, and what the Bible says is that as Christians, if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, it is the most natural thing for you to want to brag and share to others and shout to the mountains who your Lord is. Now, when you pay attention to secular society, they would say, well, that's not a good idea. Actually, they oppose this thing about us sharing our faith because in their mind, two things happen. Number one, either they make the argument that we shouldn't do that with our Christianity because all religions are the same, or two, that we are not supposed to impose our believers in other people. You know what's interesting about that comment, though? That that's an idea that secular society is imposing on you. You know who are the people that say that not all religions are the same? The religious people. Because we know that our religions contradict one another. Oh, but the secular mentality is imposing that idea on religious people. And the second is that the moment the person says, you shouldn't be imposing your beliefs on anybody else, they are imposing their beliefs on me. So if we're going to play this game, let's be fair. You get to impose your belief on me, I get to impose my beliefs on you. I actually think that the word impose is a, is a negative term. I actually don't think that that's how the Bible talks about evangelism. We're not in the business of imposing anything. Our call is bigger than that. And I want to walk you through this passage, and I want to show you how Paul 
The number one evangelist, besides Jesus in the, in the Bible, teach you what evangelism is and what evangelism is not. So first he's going to tell us that evangelism is about, is about persuading someone. In chapter 5, verse 11, says we try to persuade others. The word persuasion is when you try, when you have a truth and you believe that that truth is the truth, therefore you want other people to believe that truth. Our job as Christians, if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, is to want to persuade others to believe the very thing you believe. It's the most natural thing to do. Actually, I was having a conversation with my daughter yesterday. Um, we have a disagreement on something biblical. All right? And then, uh, and then she says at the end, she says, oh, Papi, you're trying to persuade me. And I said, you bet I am. That's my responsibility as a father, and it happened to be that I'm a pastor. That makes it complicated. There's nothing wrong with that. We are called to persuade people. Paul would say in chapter 5, verse 18, also that evangelism is the ministry and message of reconciliation. All this is from God. Notice that this is not man's idea. He gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And in verse 19, he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Notice that it doesn't say that it's a good idea to share the gospel. It's a good idea that you consider sharing the gospel. It says that the Lord gave us this and commanded of us that we share the gospel. The ministry of reconciliation and the proclamation of reconciliation. Now, I want you to hear this out because there's all kinds of opinions about what evangelism is. And I'll, I'll answer that question in the second point. But for now, suffice to say that notice that Paul says that evangelism is not about presenting Jesus as a good friend. Jesus is a good friend. But that's not the gospel. Notice that Paul says that evangelism is not to show Jesus as a problem solver. Jesus is a problem solver, but that is not the gospel. Notice that Paul doesn't say that we should present Jesus as a divine vending machine. He gives you what you want. God gives you what you want. Actually, God gives you what you didn't even know you wanted. But that is not evangelism. Evangelism is the proclamation, declaration of what Jesus came to do. Reconcile Humanity with God, God with humanity. Jesus comes to fix something that is broken, not to improve something that is good. Jesus came to reconcile. That's evangelism. Number three, it tells you that evangelism is the act of being Christ ambassadors to appeal and to implore. Chapter 5, verse 20, it says, uh, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Notice that it says that the ambassador, the ambassador is someone that represents someone of a higher status. The ambassador is a person that has a delegated authority to represent somebody else in a different place. 
We don't need the world's permission to share the gospel because God has called us to share the gospel. Delegated authority. In chapter 6, verse 1, Paul says that evangelism is the act of co-working with God to urge people to believe. Chapter 6, verse 1, as God co-workers, we urge you not to receive God, not to receive God's grace in vain. I love that term, co-workers. Because it tells you that God and I are in the same business. Now, I know that that term might be confusing for some people because it is easy to assume that when we see in the Bible co-workers means that, if, that God needs to do his part and I need to do my part. And if God doesn't do his part, nothing is going to happen. And if I don't do my part, nothing is going to happen. And that's partly true, but let me put it this way. As a church, we believe that the Bible makes it clear, and we talk about this all the time, that God is sovereign. Amen? That God does what he wants to do, whenever he wants to do it, however he wants to do it. Nobody can tell him what to do, when to do it, how to do it. He's sovereign. So if he wants to save someone, he will save someone. But at the same time, the Bible tells us that you and I are responsible for the proclamation of the gospel. Now, if you think that that's a contradiction, let me give you the most theological answer I could give you. Do you know why the Bible talks about the sovereignty of God and human responsibility? I don't know. <laughs> and it doesn't matter. Because you're taking both. This is why Spurgeon used to say, don't try to separate two friends. See, Paul, in all these verses, he's saying that to be a believer is to be on mission. And that part of our mission is to try to convert people to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. That we should do everything in our power for people come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And Paul tells you in all these verses that evangelism is about one thing and one thing alone. The proclamation of the gospel. And to invite people to believe. Pay attention to the word invite. We persuade, we share the message, we appeal, we implore, we urge. It's an invitation. It's an invitation to say what chapter 6, verse 2 says. Now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. It's an invitation. But I need you to pay attention to that term. Because you don't have the power, and I don't have the power. You don't have the ability, and I don't have the ability to convert people. Our only job is to proclaim and invite. This is what Jerry Packer said. Evangelism is man's work, but the giving of faith is God's. Did you catch that? Evangelism is man's work, but the giving of faith is God's. Your job and my job, if we are believers, is to be faithful in our proclamation and invitation. You are not responsible to produce results. I actually think that that's a misunderstanding in modern-day Christianity, you know? I actually think that part of the struggle with evangelism for many believers is because I don't know where from in the Scripture they got the idea that we're supposed to produce results. 
We don't have that ability. We don't have the ability to change people's hearts. If you don't know if that's true, if you're a parent, you know that that is true. We don't have the ability to change people's hearts. I actually think that this misunderstanding, misunderstanding is what has caused, according to Barna, this is a study done in 1993, according to Barna, that about uh, 30 years ago, nine out of every 10 Christians would say that we have the responsibility to share our faith. Now, two-thirds of those people would say that that's our responsibility. About 20-point 20, uh, drop from 30 years ago to today. I actually think this idea that we're supposed to produce results has also um, uh, produced results with the idea that we're supposed to, uh, that we, suppo we shouldn't um, impose our religion is what has affected the newer generation of Christians. The semi-study by Barna says that nearly half of millennials, practicing Christian millennials, Say that it's wrong to evangelize. 47% of the population say. Now, where do they get that from? Because we don't understand that to be a believer is to be a mission. And that everyone is bragging about something. Why wouldn't we brag about our Christianity? But it's just an invitation. Proclamation, invitation. We persuade we share the message, we appeal, we implore, we urge, and we do it because it's the most loving thing to do. Did you know that if you truly believe that Jesus is the Lord and Savior, to not, to not share what you believe is not only offensive to God, but it's not loving to the people you say you love. Why wouldn't you want the people in your life to get to know Jesus? Why wouldn't you want the people that has placed in your life to spend eternity without Jesus? Let me make this point again. Your job is not to produce results. That's God's problem. You are called to be faithful in proclamation and invitation. Maybe some of you feel guilty because you're tried and people have not come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And I, I'm here to tell you that that's not in the Bible, you guys. I, I'm also thinking that you shouldn't be afraid of doing evangelism wrong. It doesn't matter. Just do something for goodness sake. Listen, in, in my wife and my side of the family, we have all kinds of Christians and non-Christians. And I think that before the Lord, we have done a decent job. We could always do a better job sharing what we believe with the people that we love. And listen, very few people have come to the saving knowledge of Jesus. So what do we do? We continue to pray and we continue to share. My call, your call, is not to produce results. It's to be faithful in your proclamation and invitation. Now, the second question we have to answer then is, okay, if this is our call, then what is it that we're supposed to say? That leads me to my second point, the message. Now, remember how I told you that evangelism is not about inviting people to accept Jesus as a friend or as a problem solver, as a divine vending machine? Remember how I told you that evangelism is about proclaiming the gospel of reconciliation? Well, Paul is going to make that extremely clear here. 
Let me give you some of the verses here. In verse 14, for example, he says that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again. In verse 18, he says it in a different way. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. He says it again in a different way. In verse 19, it says uh, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And in verse 21, it says that God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now, I want to give you a summary of everything that Paul says there, which for me, that is the message of the gospel. This is the way I summarize it, that Jesus lived the life that no one has lived, that he died the death that we all deserve, that he resurrected to give us what we don't deserve, and then he calls us to surrender our lives to him. That's what you got to say. You don't need to put flowers in there. You don't need to do bungee jumping. You don't need to do anything. Just say that. That is the message of the gospel. There are other conversations that you can have. There are other topics that you could bring in front of people. You should invite people to church, man. You should share books and share a podcast. And you should say, hey, you should listen to this sermon. Or maybe you should share your testimony. That's all good. Tell people what the Lord has done in you and in your heart. But at the end of the day, the one thing that you must say is that you must talk about is about Jesus' life, death, resurrection, and call people to repent. If you don't have that, you don't have the gospel. If you don't have that, if we don't proclaim that, we are not proclaiming the gospel. Why? Well, part of the reason why I included the phrase, Jesus lived the life that no one has lived, is because Paul says that he had no sin. See, the only way Jesus qualifies to be the person that takes our place at the cross is if he was a sinless person because a sinful person cannot die on behalf of another sinful person. Part of the reason why we say that he died the death that we all deserve is because the text tells us that he died for all and he became sin for us all. If Jesus doesn't die on the cross, then he is not taking taking the punishment we deserve. Actually, here, we got to spend just a few few seconds thinking about this. If the person you're talking to or yourself don't see yourselves as a sinful person, not just as a crooked person or not so good person but if you don't see yourself as a sinful person the gospel doesn't make any sense you know in my first years of christianity um which i believe that i became a christian but i was struggling with this concept of being a sinful person like for real and i remember hearing this quote by the missionary jack miller in which he would say cheer up You are a worse sinner than you ever dared to imagine. And then he says, cheer up, but you are more loved than you ever dared to hope. The first part, I struggled a ton. You know why? Because I was a good kid. I think that I was a decent son. (coughs) Decent boyfriend too, right, baby? (laughs) I was a good, I worked, I helped, I did all these things. But we do this all the time. When you compare yourself this way, 
It's so easy to confuse, to think that we are good. Part of the reason why we do that is because you never compare yourself to someone that is better than you. We usually pick the worst person and we say, man, thanks God I'm not like him. <laughs> but that's not the problem. The problem is our sin is against a holy, pure, good, eternal, and faithful God. Part of the message gospel is to help people understand that they need a Savior because without a Savior, the only thing left is condemnation. Part of the reason why we got to say that Jesus resurrected to give us what we don't deserve is because the text says that in him we have the righteousness of God. That the only way for you to be accepted and forgiven is when God declares you righteous in Jesus Christ. Pay attention to the expression declared. You place your faith in Jesus Christ. People place their faith in Jesus Christ and God declares you righteous. Listen up, church. It's not believe, repent, and go to church. It's not believe, repent, and serve. It's not believe, repent, and read the Bible. It's not believe, repent, and do good things. Those are all great things. But that is not the gospel. The message of the gospel is just believe, repent. Believe that what the Lord did already in Jesus Christ is good enough. This is why Martin Lloyd-Jones, when he wanted to know if a person was a Christian, he would ask this question. Are you a Christian? And if the person would respond something like, I'm trying to be, he would say, you might not be a Christian just yet. Listen up, church. We don't get to try to be Christians. We believe and we repent. And that's it. You don't get to add anything to the gospel. All the other conversations come later on. But to believe in Jesus, to be saved before the Father, only requires those two things. That's what the last part is. We call people to surrender to him. Conversion only requires the gospel. Of course, someone might be thinking, well, there's a verse that says that by their fruits you will know who they are. That's God's business. That's not your business. I think that as Christians, we have to really, really trust the power of the proclamation of the gospel. Let the Spirit use what he has to use. The message is all about Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And then invite people to believe and repent. Amen? Amen. All right, that was the mission. That was the message. Now let's talk about the mode. And this is where it's going to get a little bit more personal, okay? Um, when I talk about the mode, I'm talking about the style and the manner and the method to evangelize. 
And the part of the reason why I say that this is going to get personal is because I think that one of the things that modern-day Christians need to understand is that the Bible calls us to recognize our times. We need to understand that the Lord has used different things throughout seasons, through different people, through different techniques to bring people into salvation. But part of our call as Christians is to recognize today what's happening today. In order for us to be faithful evangelizers, we have to understand our times. You know where I get that from? Jesus. Did you know that Jesus had more than one way to evangelize people? Just read the Gospels and you would see that he would treat, he would bring the Gospel to other people, to people in different ways, in different times, because of the different context. One size fits all does not work anymore, church. You know where I get that from too? Paul. Just do a little bit of a study how Paul brought the gospel to different people. And you would see that he would use different techniques, different styles, different conversations, depending on the different context. This is what modern-day missiologists are talking about. They're saying that for modern-day Christians, we must learn from people like Daniel, Esther, and Peter, specific the letter of 1 Peter. You know why? Listen up. Because we are exiles. We are no longer the majority group. And I'm talking about the United States. We are the minority now. So whatever dreams we had of the good old days, which by the way, I'm still questioning what the good old days were. Whatever the good old days were, we no longer have those here. That's why it is expected that we will be rejected. That's why it is expected that we are not going to be as popular. That's why you pray for all our teenagers, all of you guys sitting up there and all the young adults sitting on the other corner. Because when you go to your schools and institutions, you are no longer popular. This is part of what it means to live in a post-modern world and almost post-Christian world, especially in this part of the world. And the reason why I'm saying that is because the traditional ways of evangelism, the Lord used them and has used them and sometimes he still used them, but that is the exception, not the norm. Listen, I got converted like about 25 years ago, I was thinking this morning, right? And one of the things that the Lord was using when I became a Christian was one question that people would ask on the street all the time. For those of you that are about my age or older, you might remember the phrase, the question is, if you die today, where would you go? You guys remember that? How many of you guys remember that? How many of you guys never heard of that? Oh, look at that. You know what the problem is? You know what the problem is with that question today? is that it assumes that people believe in God. And it assumes that I care about heaven or hell. But if I don't care about God and I don't care about heaven nor hell, that question does nothing for us. You know one of those statements that people used to use? They would say that people have a hole in their heart, in their heart that belongs to God. You know that you say that to postmodern people, that means nothing. That's why it's so important that we learn from our missionary brothers and sisters that are already living in other parts of the world in which they are experiencing the things that we will begin to experience here today. 
I want you to hear, church, that we are not the majority anymore. And that is not a bad thing if you understand that that's part of the reason why the Lord placed us here. We are in mission. So last year in our missions fest, one of our missionaries from Asia was preaching at Tri-Village, our extreme location. And he said that one of the things that, is, that uh, Christians over there had to learn is that whatever the Lord was doing over there had to be the opposite of what the Lord has done here. See, here, we ought to believe in order for us to belong, right? In other parts of the world, people need to belong first before they believe. You know what that means? That as Christians, we have to be super intentional about having relationships with people that are not Christian. That as Christians, we have to be super intentional to stop putting all of our efforts and the all ways of, you know, uh, evangelistic campaigns and come to the church so you listen to this amazing preacher. Man, do it. For the goodness sake, do it. But that's not how people are coming to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. I have a friend, a neighbor. I've known him for, I don't know, seven years or so. And I invite that guy at least two to three times a year to church. Whenever we're going to do something beautiful, I text him. Hey, you want to come to church? And every time I say that, he gives me the same answer. Yeah, well, maybe one day. That's what it means to be a Christian. That's what it means to be in mission. We are intentional about those relationships. We are intentional about having these conversations. We are intentional about uh, uh, bringing people into your life. So I want to show you here really quick three different ways, four different ways. Let me see. Two, three, four, five, six, seven, twenty. Uh, <laughs> three different ways of how we, we should do this. This is the mode. Number one, I think that we have to believe in the concept of wonderful persuasion. Look at what 5.11 says. Since then we know uh, that it is... What it is to fear the Lord, we try to persuade others. The reason why I use the word wonderful there is because I think that that's a good translation for the phrase, the fear of the Lord. You know what that means? Paul says that it's because he has seen the beautiful, the wonderful beauty of God that he must persuade others. Which then he makes me question, maybe just maybe, Part of the reason why we're not as effective in evangelism, maybe, just maybe, is because we don't find God as beautiful just yet. Because if we would, we will brag about him. Second thing that we can see here is that the Lord calls us to gentle appeal. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. Look at the next one, respectful imploration. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Notice that both of these in verse 20, it says that as Christians, we represent God and Christ. Do you see that? And it tells us that God speaks through us. If that is true, and it has to be true because the Bible says so, then when you preach or share the gospel, not only you are sharing the truth of the gospel, but you are sharing God's character 
and love by the way you share. You heard that? If there's one thing that the church in general should repent of, is how much we lack gentleness toward the unbeliever. When you look at Jesus, you see that Jesus was harsh sometimes. Do you know with whom? The religious people. Not the unbeliever. Maybe, just maybe, the Lord is calling us to do the same. I've shared a little bit of my story with you before, but... I truly believe that part of the reason why I'm preaching this sermon today is because 46 years ago, a couple of American missionaries opened the doors of their house in Latin America to a woman that was running away from God. A pregnant woman that was running away from God. A pregnant woman that was about to have a beautiful, beautiful baby. And this is what I learned from that story. That they did proclaim that they share and they persuade. But they did not oppress my mom into believing. They loved her into conversion. That's your call. That's my call. To persuade to say, to urge, to call, to invite. But we do it with the right heart, the right motive, and the right attitude. So the question to finish up is, why would anybody do this? Well, this is the, pri the primary motive. See, I've been saying all through the, throughout the sermon that we brag about the things we love. And that's precisely what Paul says that we ought to do. In verse 14, he says, For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all die. If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the all has gone, the new is here. Now, I love those verses because he tells you that the reason why Paul was willing to proclaim this message is because he himself was convinced. He was convinced that there was no better message than that. He was convinced, uh, convinced that he himself had been saved by grace alone. He was convinced himself that Christ loved them first. This is why Steve Brown says that Christians are like beggars telling other beggars where to find bread. That's why Christians, says somebody else, are a bunch of nobodies telling everybody about somebody. This is why Jack Miller said, cheer up. You are a worse sinner than you ever dared to imagine. And yet, you are more loved than you ever dared to hope. You know who are the people that share the gospel boldly? The ones that know that our debt has been paid in full. We have nothing to earn. We have it all in Jesus Christ. You have nothing to lose. 
Everything is secure in Jesus Christ. Why wouldn't you share that with everybody? So please don't be annoying. <laughs> be nice. Proclaim and invite. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Beautiful Savior, we, we talk about evangelism because you called us to be witnesses, to proclaim the message of reconciliation. But we talk about, about evangelism because at the end of the day, we want others to have what you have given us. Lord, your love compels us. Lord, by the power of your Spirit, would you please grant us to not do things with the wrong motives or out of fear or out of guilt. We want to do things because we are grateful for what you already did as an act of adoration and because we want to love people well. Would you please do that? And we all say...